Thank you, Pastor. Is mic on? Yay, it's on. All right. Um, I am very, very grateful for the opportunity to be here this evening and to preach. Uh, I don't take don't take it lightly. Um, definitely uh, enjoy the opportunity. Like he was saying, uh, the only way you get better at preaching is doing it more often. And so I, I appreciate the invitation, the opportunity to be here this evening. Um, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, we're going to be looking in First John. Um, if you look. In 1 John, it's toward the end of the Bible. If you go all the way to Revelation and just go back a couple books, you'll be in 1 John. Um, it'd be 1 John, and we're going to be in chapter 4 this evening. We're going to read not a super long portion of passage, but a few verses into chapter 5. Um, so if you have your Bibles, give you a chance to turn there. It's 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to be starting in verse 7. Um, it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only, son, only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we, know, we have known and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath not torment, or because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. In chapter 5, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. If you would uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. Pray, Lord, that you would give me clarity of mind, and pray, Lord, that you would uh, allow me to speak clearly, and pray, Lord, that everyone here would understand and that they would be challenged um, myself included, that we would be challenged from your word and grow closer to you through this message. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, I don't know if any of you go shopping very often, but if you ever, probably from December 26th till now, if you go into Dwayne Reed or any other store, you'll probably re notice something. Valentine's Day decorations. The minute Christmas is over, we don't even have a chance to celebrate New Year 
we have Valentine's decorations up. It's like we're celebrating Valentine's Day before we have a chance to take down the Christmas tree. You go into Dwayne Reed and they have the whole seasonal section broken down with all these chocolate heart boxes and everything else ready for the Valentine's holiday. And it's, a, you know, it's a nice holiday. It, you know, Valentine's Day, it's, it's nice. It's a, an opportunity to celebrate, you know, affections and love and all these other warm and gushy feelings. And it's, you know, it's a pleasant holiday. And like, you know, and many of you know Peter, you know, he's expecting, you know, he's in a relationship and Valentine's Day is probably going to be something special for him. And, you know, Brother Franz, too, I'm going to pick on you. Um, you know, they're excited for Valentine's Day. It's, it's an opportunity. Now, if you look at most of the people that are going to be in Dwayne Reed, though, they're probably not in relationships on the same level of purity as Franz and Peter. Most of the people, if you, especially if you took New York as an instant, as an example, you go out, all these people, they walk into Dwayne Reed and they think of Valentine's Day. They're probably thinking about all these movies that depict love in a lustful manner. And a lot of people, when you look at what love means to a lot of people, they have a pretty perverse idea of what love is. Much of what people say love is, is really lust. It's perverse affections. Now, the passage we read this evening, it's really an opportunity for God to draw his attention to what real love is like, or what genuine love is. Now, if you were to look up the definition of love, and to, to just to understand what it is, you know, you have a lot of these things where it's like to put affection on this, or to tie affection to that, or an appreciation for this. Um, even in secular dictionaries, if you look at the, the definition of love, when it comes to God, it refers to the, the love of a benefactor toward his creation. And so even in like an, a modern Webster's Dictionary, when it talks about love with God, it's God is a generous benefactor looking upon his creation, and love is his affection toward his creation. Now, in this particular passage, we actually see the ways that God shows his love. And we see what love is through the actions of God. And he teaches us exactly what love is. And a simple walkthrough of this passage will give you, will give us an understanding just of the progression of how God's love works. Now, when we first started this passage, it says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. Now, when you go down to verse 9, it says this, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Now, the first way that God shows His love toward us is when Jesus, the Son of God, became man. Now, a lot of times when we first think about this, we think, oh yeah, Jesus came to die for us. And that's not what that first, first talks about. The first thing is, God, or Jesus, became man. That was his first demonstration of love to us. To us. Now, him dying was another demonstration of that. But if you think about this, and you go over to Philippians, in Philippians... We actually read this in, first, in Philippians 2. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But if you notice in verse 9, the first thing that God did that showed his love toward us is he became a man. Now, that's hard for me to imagine because, one, I'm not God. None of us here are God. But if you think about it, God is eternal. He's never been confined to human flesh. He's not confined to any type of limitation. But God of the universe, who created everything, who brought everything into being, willfully became a man. He took on him the limitations of man. God himself did that. That was his first demonstration of love to us. Now, him dying was a further demonstration of that. But before we get ahead of that, think about how awesome it is that just to prove his love for us, he willingly became a man. Before he even died, he expected to die, and he had plans to die, and he knew he was going to die, but he became a man. He became the lowest of his creatures. I mean, he stepped down from being God to dwell inside this flesh. And he just he lived with us, and it says that we might live through him. Now, when you look at the life of Christ, he lived a sinless life. He lived perfectly for God. And when we come into verse 10 of this passage, it says, Hearing his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, first, God proved his love by becoming a man. Then, he died for us. Not only did he become a man, he became a servant as a man, and then submitted himself to death. And God, in demonstration of his great love for us, died as a man, to pay for our sins. And this passage right here, it it gives us the ultimate description or the ultimate picture of what love is. It's an eternal God becoming a man and dying for our sins so we can have a home in heaven. And whenever we have all these ideas out here about what love is, we can come to this passage and we can see exactly what love really is. Now, this passage doesn't just exist so we can understand that, oh, God loves us. As we continue on in this passage, it says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now, it's not, God didn't just come to earth and die and just say, I love you, and that's it. What he, said, what he does is, he dies for us, he pays a penalty for our sin, and as a result of that, when we trust in him as our Savior, his desire is for us to then love one another. This is the progression of how, uh, how love works. Love comes from God, through Christ, to us, and from us, God wants us to love one another. And our demonstration of love toward God and our response of love to God is by loving one another. Now, as we go on through the rest of these verses, we can see how that works. Because it says now here, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. Now, when we think about God loving us, and when we come to God and trust in Christ as our Savior to forgive us of our sins, the Holy Spirit of God indwells us. So, God becomes a part of us. He indwells us. His spirit lives within us. Now, When we read here that God is love, that means that love indwells us. So, God indwells us. We have a spirit in us. That spirit then causes us to love others. 
It's a natural progression of how his love works. The minute you become, you get saved, God lives in you. Now, when God lives in you, if you think about it, why wouldn't you love other people? God's in you. God is love. If love dwells in you, where, what are you going to do? You're going to love other people in response. It only makes sense. If, you know, God hated and hate dwelled in you, you'd hate people. But whenever God is love and he dwells inside you, that becomes what your reaction is. That's how you respond to other people. It's a part of whenever he dwells in you, his spirit then produces love in your life. Now, as we look farther in this passage, it, it continues on in verse 15 when it says, whosoever, confesseth, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, whenever it comes to trusting in Christ as our Savior... We're saved from something. We're saved from judgment. Whenever we come to Christ for salvation, His Spirit indwells us and He saves us. He saves us from judgment. Now, before you got saved and you heard the first time, maybe, you know, you're a sinner and because you're a sinner, there's a punishment for your sin. That punishment is a place called hell. That could probably cause fear in somebody, don't you think? If you heard the first time, and that's all you ever heard, was, you know, God, he judges sin, and I'm a sinner, and his judgment for sin is hell. If that's all you ever heard, you'd probably have fear, right? You'd live in fear, because you face judgment. Now, whenever you accept Christ as your Savior, and you get forgiveness from your sin, you're saved from judgment. Would you be afraid of judgment anymore? Are you going to be afraid of hell anymore? I'm not. Because I know that when I trusted in Christ, he saved me from an eternity in hell. I have boldness to come. In Hebrews, we know we have a boldness to come to the throne of grace. We know that we can come to God with boldness because God has forgiven us. And we have a boldness before God, not an arrogance, but a boldness because we can come to God without fear. We know that we can come to God and he's forgiven our sins. We're not afraid of judgment anymore. God has taken away that judgment. There's no condemnation in Christ. We're no longer afraid. Why would you be afraid of something? God says, you trust in my son. My son saves you, forgives your sins. There's no more fear of judgment. The judgment's gone. We can live now in this life of peace because we have peace with God. And you can see the growth in this progression. We have God, who is love, manifesting his love toward us through Christ. And our love for one another and then this love, where well, we have this love for others and this love toward our brethren and even people who are strangers and our neighbor that we don't know. We have this love toward them because it's God's love flowing through us. We also have this opportunity to have no fear in life. We're not afraid of judgment. We're not afraid of this condemnation. And we no longer have this, this dread. We no longer have this worry where, oh, I, I hope I can please God. I hope I can make it. I hope I can do this. We have a confidence. We know, hey, I have... And eternity in heaven is secure for me. I'm not afraid. And as we continue on in this passage, if you look, it, it goes on and it, it kind of summarizes it as we get into nine, the verse 19. It says, we love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, 
How can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Now, it's kind of recapping that and says, you know, as, as you go past that thing where, you know how you have no fear, you have no fear of judgment? And there, there's some people who might say, well, you know what? I still hate my brother. I just can't stand this guy. I hate him. I just hate him. No reason. I just hate him. He wronged me or I have this bitterness toward this person. And John, as he writes this, he's reminding him saying, you know what? No, 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 no. The love of God isn't dwelling in you. Whenever you understand that God loves you and you trusted in him, this, this hatred or this spite you have toward another person, it doesn't belong. It doesn't fit in your life. Because whenever you say, I love God, but I hate this person, God says, no, 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 you don't understand. When I love you and you accept Christ and my love dwells in you, your response is going to be to love me and to love your brethren and to love others. You can't love and hate the, somebody at the same time. Sometimes you might feel like it when you're frustrated at people that you, that you have a, a, a compassion for, but really you can't love and hate somebody at the same time. It's just, they don't fit. They're incompatible. Now, verse 20, it says, you, you, can't really love some, you can't really love God who you've never seen when you can't love your brother who you have contact with every day. And as we go on to chapter 5, it's kind of an interesting thing. As you look in chapter 5, um, you look in verse, verse 1. It says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now, what that verse is simply saying is that when you love God, you're going to love Christ. You're going to love Christ because Christ is begotten of God. Christ is God. If you don't love Christ, you can't love God. You must accept his son in order to actually really love God. But in verse 2, consider this. It says, but this, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Now, Sometimes I, when you read that passage, you might think, okay, that's kind of like something separate. It's kind of like a new, new topic. It's like, you know, maybe there's a shift in topic. Because before it was talking about love, and now it's kind of changed the discussion to these, this idea about commandments. And when you first read that, you might think, this is kind of like changing topics. He's going to something else now. He's talked about love and how you love your brother, and now he's going to this new commandment, and it's, it's something else. He's talking about commandments but it's actually connected. It, it continues on in the flow. Because whenever we love God or we keep his commandments, it's how we show our love to Christ. It's how we show our love to God is by obeying his commandments. Now, Jesus said it best in Matthew chapter 22, in verse 35. I'm going to turn there. I want to read... Five verses to you. It says this in chapter 30, or verse 35 of Matthew 22. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. In verse 39, And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, whenever we talk about this whole great discourse on how the flow of God works and how the, the love of God progresses in the life of an individual who trusts in Christ, 
it continues on in the idea of the commandments. And obedience to commandments isn't a different idea. As Jesus said, this, these two commandments, where you love God and you love your neighbor, all the law and the commandments hang on those. All the law and the prophets are boiled down to those two ideas. You love God and you love your brethren. You love your neighbor as yourself. And the best explanation for this is simply if you think about the Ten Commandments. If you look at the Ten Commandments, you have the first four that are primarily geared toward how we deal in our relationship with God. No idols, nothing in between God, no other gods before Him, honoring the Sabbath, not taking His name in vain. All those deal with how we love God. When you love God, you're going to do those things. When you love God and you have this love for God, it's going to be pretty easy not to have an idol. When you love God, it's going to be pretty easy not to take His name in vain. When you love God, it's going to be really easy to honor His Sabbath and be in His house when you're supposed to be there to worship Him and to praise Him. It's going to be easy. And then if you look at the last six commandments, no lying, no stealing, no cheating, no coveting, no adultery. All those things, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to do them. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to lie to him. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from him. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to try to have an illicit relationship with anybody. If you, ha- if you love your neighbor, you're going to be proud and, and happy for his accomplishments. You're not going to be covetous of what he has. You're going to be proud for what he's done. You're going to be proud of his accomplishments. You're going to be proud for him. You're not going to have this, this jealousy. When you love your neighbor, those things are going to be taken care of. And so as we come into chapter 5 and he says, you know, when, when it comes to love, when it comes to this idea of love for God, you need to keep his commandments. And as we wrap up and you look in chapter or in verse 3, it says, and his commandments are not grievous. What that's basically saying is, these commandments, this, this list, even if you just take the Ten Commandments, this list of things, it's not hard. When you love somebody, those commandments aren't hard. It's simple to think about, like, in the context of a relationship, when you're married. If your wife likes something, you love her, so you'll either like it with her, or you'll learn to like it. If there's something your wife doesn't like, you're going to stop doing it, because you love your wife. If your husband like something or a particular meal maybe or likes the way you do something, you'll probably do that because you love him. That's how it works in marriage and that's how it works in the relationship with God. When we love God, it's easy to keep his commandments. It doesn't become a burden. It's not one of those difficult things where it's like, oh man, God, I can't hate that person. We don't have that, in our, we don't have that thinking in our head because we love God and it's not, we're not concerned about, oh, but can't I just hate him? He deserves it a lot. We don't have that attitude. We simply say, you know, God, we love God, and we're going to keep his commandments. Now, I want to be honest with you just for a second, and I hope I'm not the only one who thinks this way, but how many of you ever get to the place where sometimes those commandments are burdensome? How many, am I the only one who's ever been there? Like, sometimes you look at these commandments and you say, you know what? That one is getting really hard right now. Maybe this person you work with just grates on your nerves every day. They drive you crazy. The way they click their pen all the time. It's just like, really? Can you just stop? I'm really starting to hate you right now. 
And eventually you just get to this place where you're like, I hate that person. Or how about this? You, you know, it's not so bad right now in the winter where you can go outside and people have clothes on. But in the summer, they don't. That can encourage lust. Now, at first you're like, can't they put some clothes on? But then the summer wears on and you're like, hey. And eventually those things seep into your mind and you start having these lustful thoughts. And you think, can't I just turn it off? Can't I just turn it off? And you, you have that lust and you try to turn it off, but it's there. And at some point it, it's, it's odd because there's, it, you, you can't really tell where the line is. It's just something happens or you get to this point where it's really hard to obey that commandment or that commandment to love God or that commandment to love your brother or that commandment to be pure or that commandment to not have a bad attitude. Sometimes it becomes really hard. Now, before, if you consider this progression, it was really easy. But all of a sudden, you find yourself in this place where it's really hard to obey God or it's really hard to feel like you want to obey the commandments of God. And then maybe one day you mess up and you go back to something you did before. Whatever it might be, you go back to that. And then you find yourself here and you say, I never would have imagined myself doing this ever again. After I got saved, I never would have imagined myself doing whatever again. And you're there. And then all of a sudden you just kind of feel this, have this feeling, God is really far away right now. I don't know where God is. And you, you look at the commandments and you say, you know what? I'm going to try harder to obey these commandments. And it's really hard. And then you keep going on. And as you get farther and farther away from God, you feel it's even harder to get back. And you find yourself doing all these things you did before and involved in many things and you have this frustration. You're like, you know what? I just want to get back to God. And you know where you belong. You know you belong close to God. But for some reason, there's just this chasm there. And you don't know how it got there. And you, you find yourself stuck with this distance from God. Now, I want to tell you a quick story. Like I've worked retail for a number of years. And working in retail, there's a, a thing with customer service. And... Day in, day out. I've worked in retail for almost 12 years now. And when it comes to working with customers, you have to remember that they're paying you your salary. doesn't matter how mean they are, how rude they are. You have to take care of them. A customer walks into the store. Whatever they need, you need to make sure that you take care of their need. You provide them with the product they paid for. You provide them with the service. And you take care of their questions. You answer their questions. You try to help them with it. And it becomes really frustrating. But you have to keep in mind that, well, if I don't keep that customer happy and the next customer happy and the next customer happy, eventually we're going to lose all of our customers and there's not going to be anybody to pay my salary. Now, most of us, we understand this idea of making sure we keep customers happy. Or if you're the customer, you remember, you know what? I'm not going to go back to that store anymore because they didn't treat me happy. We have this idea that we have to have this perfect treatment to make sure that we come back as a customer or that we keep customers coming back. And in, in a way, that's right. That's true. 
But you know what? For me, sometimes I pretend or I, I start to think of God and the relationship with God like the idea of that customer service. And I tend to think that, you know what, God thinks like that too. I have to do this, 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 and this to keep God happy. And sometimes we start thinking of God like a customer. We think of him as this person that we need to do all these checks and O's to make him happy. And if we don't make God happy with this, 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 and this, he's not going to be happy with us, and we're stuck out here in this chasm. And we think that, well, you know what? If God is unhappy with me, if I do this, 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 and this, then I can make God happy with me again. And what happens is we, we, we look at these commandments, we take this idea of, you know, his commandments are not grievous. Well, all of a sudden, these commandments... We take the Ten Commandments, we look at the law, we look at all these things that we're supposed to do and not supposed to do, and we look at all these big things, and we have all these hundreds and thousands of laws and all these things we've made up for ourselves even, you know, and we say, I've got to do all these so that I can make God happy again, and when God's happy again, He'll love me again, and our relationship will be right. Has anybody else been there, or is it just me? All right. Here's the thing, though. Those commandments are grievous. The Bible says those commandments are not grievous. But all of a sudden, we've taken all these commandments and we've made them grievous. We've made them a burden. No longer is this commandment about our response and love to our response to God's love for us. All of a sudden, it's, God, will you please love me again? God, will you please love me again? Over and over, our lives become this big chorus of, God, will you please love me? God, will you please love me? And it might be because of our experiences and the way we've grown up or our relationships, anything that might have been in our past, our, our views of relationships, all these contribute to war, the way we think about God. And we think about God as this person who we have to do all this stuff and bring it to God to please Him, to make Him love us. But go back to verse 19 in verse chap- chapter 4. It says this, We love Him because He first loved us. Now, Where did our progression of God's love start from? It started with the fact that God is love. God is love is where everything started from. God is love is God's love and the fact that he is love is what sent Jesus to become a man and allowed him to die on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross paid our sin and that brought us back into fellowship with God so we can come back to God and love him. It had nothing to do with us. God did all that work. When we love God, it's a response of his love toward us, toward us. It's not about me becoming lovable to God. That's a perverse thinking. Our love for God and our obedience to his commandments, they are not supposed to be grievous. You should not be frustrated in spinning your wheels trying to get God to love you. That was never God's intention. God has always wanted you to simply love him in response to his love towards you. Now, I don't know where you are this evening... As far as thinking about God's love or where your reaction is or what your response is. But I can tell you this. There's probably three, three areas where somebody is struggling tonight. One, you may not be saved. You may never have gotten to the place where you've accepted Christ as your Savior. You may say, you know what? That guy's up there. He's talking. But I've never gotten to that place where I felt that peace. I've never felt that comfort. I've never felt that place where I wasn't afraid of God's judgment. If you're still afraid of God's judgment... The altar is open this evening for you so you can come forward tonight 
and get that settled. You can come and accept God's gift of Christ to cover your sins and get that settled. You, cannot be, you don't have to be afraid of judgment. You don't have to walk out of those doors afraid that God's judgment is going to fall on you. There's also those of you in here that may say, you know what, I kind of feel that place right now where God's commandments are grievous. You may be at the place where there might be a distance between you and God. Let me challenge you. God's not moved. He's where he's always been. And he's always offered the same love to you. He's willing to accept you. And if you go back to the beginning of 1 John, he simply says he's faithful and just to forgive us. All we need to do is come back to God. He's not expecting us to do these big, massive trapeze acts to get back into love with him. He's not expecting that from us. All he wants, it's really simple, really, is you to say, you know what, God? I messed up. Let's start over again. It's not, it's not this big, big grand show that you have to do to make sure that you have to prove your love to God. He just wants you to come back to that. And if anything, just come back and dwell on the fact that, hey, God loves me. This evening, the altar's open. If you have time, just, just come forward and say, you know what, God? I've gotten away from the fact that you love me. I've gotten away from the fact that you are love. And I've tried to prove and I've tried to earn your love when it's there the whole time. Stop trying to earn God's love. Just recognize, if, if you are involved in a sin, recognize that God has forgiven you. He wants you to be back in fellowship with Him. You don't have to go through all the checklists. It's simply return to Him and allow Him to bring you back to that place where you have a fellowship. Those burdens, remember, those commandments, again, they're not burdens. Get back to that place where you love God. Now, many of you may, might think, well, what does that mean? How do I get back in that fellowship? Well, it's really simple. Spend time with Him every day. You know how you... Again, let's go back to the relationship. You know when you love your spouse, what do you do? You spend time with them. And as you spend time with them, that's when you learn more of those commandments. You learn more about those things in that relationship that will please that person. It's in spending time with God. It's in talking to Him in prayer. It's in spending time in His Word. It's not doing that as a checklist. It's simply saying, God, I recognize that you love me, and I want to get back to that place where I love you in response. Not because it's a duty or because it's a burdensome checklist, but because I know you love me, I want to get back to that closeness. Finally, whenever you're, wherever you are as far as like in relationship to each other and your brethren, this, this love we have toward God, it does demonstrate itself in love toward the brethren. Just curious, where is your relationship? Is there a person, even maybe in here, where you might say, you know what, I have a bitterness toward them or I have an, an envy or a strife, or we have like, we're, we've been butting heads for a while. Take a time to just sit down and say, you know what? It's not God's will that I have this strife with my brother or my sister and get that taken care of. There's no reason for any of us, there's not reason for any one of us to leave this evening, to go out those doors and to live and continue on in this attitude that, you know, I need to continue to prove, God's lo- to prove that I deserve God's love. We don't need to do that. What we need to do is walk out of these doors confident in the fact that God loves us and that he paid for our sins and we can have a boldness to come before God in a close relationship. If you would, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for, uh, definitely I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that uh, you've proven that for us. Lord, I'd ask that you would be with um, all the hearts this evening and everyone here, that 
you would encourage everyone to to get back to that place where they're close to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd even be with my life and just be with me and my closest to you. And I pray, Lord, that the message this evening was a, a blessing to those and an encouragement to um, anyone, wherever they are in life. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.